Hi, this is Andrew Main and the Maniac Q&A podcast, which is now actually available as a video on YouTube at youtube.com slash Main. If you're watching me right now on YouTube, I know that sounds really silly. But anyhow, for our audio listeners, now you know. It has been a pretty busy week for me. I stopped by the Dr. Oz show where I escaped from a straitjacket, shoved a meat thermometer into my nose, and then drank liquid nitrogen. I wish I was kidding. And then I stopped by VH1 and I shared a wonderful personal moment of magic with Mr. Pete Lee, which I've put the link to it down below. And you can also go to my Tumblr, which is easy to find. It's andrewmain.tumblr.com or just find it from andrewmain.com. And I've embedded the video of that special magic moment. Let me know what you think. This week on Don't Trust Andrew Main, I did some magic involving handcuffs and zip ties and perhaps tying people up, not necessarily willingly which brings some questions from Clint. Clint wants to know, first, have I actually read Fifty Shades of Grey? The answer to that is no, I've never read Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. That was the hit indie novel about bondage and S&M, which is now being made into a movie. His second question is, in light of Fifty Shades originally being Twilight fan fiction, that's true, Fifty Shades of Grey started off as this woman writing her own version of a Twilight story, and people said, hey, get rid of the vampires, and you have your really good, well, good for that genre, story that could stand alone, and it did. So he writes, in light of it being Twilight fan fiction, how would you feel about super sexual fan fiction being written about your books? Would you read it? Well, that's an interesting question. As a writer, you tend to want to tell the stories you want to tell. And I'm pretty modest when it comes to things about the sexuality of my characters. And they're adults, they behave like adults, but the books really aren't about that part of their life so much. So I tend not to focus on that. I don't think I would read fan fiction involving my characters because I would be, you know, listening to somebody else tell a story that doesn't feel true to how I see them. But if somebody else wants to write their own fan fiction, that's entirely up to them. So I don't think I would read it. That's just me. He says he promised he's not going to write any, but just wanted to know. So I think, you know, the sign that you have characters that people like is when people want to tell their own stories. And this is why we're seeing things like Amazon's now offering up the opportunity for people to write fan fiction with certain licensed properties. And that shows that there's a lot of interest that it's you created a great universe and other people want to tell stories there. Uh, his third question, he says, I don't have to answer it, so I won't. So there you go, Clint. Thank you for your questions. Next up, Mark writes, what was your first few magic performances for people you didn't know like? Are there any stories about early magic main performances worth hearing? Funny, something interesting, something somebody could learn something from. Mark my first performances for people that weren't my family or my friends were terrifying. You know, as a little kid, maybe doing a birthday party show or doing something in front of a talent show, it was kind of nerve-wracking. But the thing that I realized was the scary part's because those people don't know me. They're just judging me as a performer. But then I realized if I can get them to like me, then I'll have the same sort of likability that I have with my friends and family. And it might actually be easier to perform for strangers, which I think it's now become. As far as something interesting that I learned, probably one of the first shows I ever did for a large group of people was a school talent show. And I was performing this trick, uh, magicians would call it the zombie, and it's this ball that floats underneath the cloth. And I was making my zombie ball float, and then my zombie ball fell onto the ground, which is the opposite of having your 
levitation work. I picked it up, started the trick over, and carried on. And everybody liked it. And what I didn't realize or I didn't appreciate was the fact that at that point, I'm the only person that knows the full story. I'm the one telling the story. And the story being the trick, maybe that means that at some point it falls and I pick it up and I carry on. And that was powerful. And ever since then, I've realized that as the performer, as the storyteller, I get to decide the narrative. And I only fail if I choose to fail, other than like outright failure. But that didn't look like that to them. So that was very helpful. Brian asks, he's a fan of the Weird Things podcast, where my buddies Brian Brushwood and Justin Robert Young are often put into mind games, if you will. And one of the things I like to do is have them solve crimes as their alter egos, Spiro and the Fudge. And Brian just wants to know who's my favorite detective. You got to like them both. You know, by themselves, they're incompetent. I highly recommend you check out the Weird Things podcast if you don't already. You can go to weirdthings.com and find out more about it. Brenda wants to know, she says, Hi, Andrew, my name is Brenda. I would first like to tell you that you are incredibly smart, thank you, and that you have obviously accomplished a great deal since you started your career. To what do you attribute your success? And what is the biggest challenge that have you faced during your career? I think that it's all relative, and uh, I certainly look at myself as somebody who's still trying to succeed, as somebody who's still trying a lot of different things, but I certainly have gotten traction, as I like to call it. I've gotten an audience for the things that I do, and that took a long time. I think that what's helped me, one, is just perseverance. I'm a guy that if there's something I need to do on a Friday night that involves work, I will work through. I'll work through the weekend. I will stay up late until I get it done. I am obsessive about that. I will not give up. And the best things that have happened to me have happened long after I should have, long after I didn't think there was anything left in me to give, but I kept at it. I think that it's important to be persistent. It's important to constantly educate yourself. Every time I write a book, I pick up a book on writing to try to learn a little bit more about the craft. As somebody who's trying different ventures, I'm very analytical. I try to understand why something didn't work, and I look for internal reasons as opposed to external. I don't look to blame other people. I don't look to blame the world around me. I try to look at what I need to do to make something better. Another factor that's helped me is friends. I have a great group of very talented friends that I can go to for advice that have been super helpful towards me, and I think much of my success is because of that. Perseverance, education, and friends. Those things have been absolutely critical. And, you know, the biggest challenge that I faced is the temptation to give up. When you're creative, it's very easy to come up with reasons for why you should give up. You can come up with excuses, and they become very attractive. And when you're your lowest, you want to say yes to failure. You want to say, no, it's okay, I did my best, and try something else, or just give up. I think, you know, the biggest challenge I face is just repeatedly, is just having to pick myself up and keep going and keep going. Miss White wants to know, is there such a thing as a market where an indie television producer can present a fully canned TV show or documentary for sale and license it to small channels around the world requiring content, like a television content buyer's market, so to speak? Uh, yeah, there are. I don't know any of them offhand. I know some of the big ones like NatP, but there certainly are markets and places to sell content around the world. I would look up on Google, look at television buyers association, television buyers groups, and find out what's there. And that'd be the best place to start. Second question, is it recommended to have an entertainment lawyer review any contracts you sign or are the contracts pretty standard? 
you always want to get legal advice. You always do because a standard contract might have a clause in there that you didn't realize. You want to get an attorney to look at it. You can either pay the attorney. Some attorneys will work off of a commission based upon what the project may earn. I tend to try to just pay them outright because it's just easier to do that. But yes, have an attorney look at everything. Last question is from Whitney. She wants to know, do you ever do a prank that backfired on you? If so, how did you handle the situation? Whitney, I've been pretty lucky. I don't think I've had one that's gone horribly wrong. Usually if something looks like it may not work, I lay off and wait and try it again. You have to develop kind of a little spider sense for these things because you don't want to go through the effort and lose your chance. That's not to say that it won't happen. It could. This has been the Maniac Q&A. If you have any questions, you can send them to questions at andrewmain.com. Remember, watch Don't Trust Andrew Main on A&E. Check out the Weird Things podcast. And if you're not already signed up for my email list, you should do that. Go to andrewmain.com and sign up. I'm going to have some pretty cool news coming out there first. And maybe something, a little special thing coming on. Maybe a couple weeks. We'll see. People on my email list will be the first ones to hear about it. So there you go. Till next time, keep it weird.